0: Do you ever think, do you ever think about how much injustice is in this world? How much unfairness? All around us, there seems to be so much injustice. Just this past week, I came across a number of stories of injustice. I read the story of a man who was convicted of murder and spent 20 years in prison, For a crime he did not commit. 20 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. That's injustice. There's a hospital in Uganda. There's a hospital in Uganda where there are 50 children and their families in a room no bigger than our chapel. And because there's no money, there's really no treatment, these children are dying from AIDS and other associated diseases, and there is nothing being done for them. They are essentially in this room to die. That's injustice. Right here in West Michigan, there's a young child who was sold into a trafficking ring by her mother. That's injustice. There's a payday loan operation in Grand Rapids that charges over 400% interest. Preying on the poor. That's injustice. There is so much injustice. Now I know that some of you have heard, you've really heard what I've just said. But I know many of you, it went in one ear and right out the other. Because maybe it's too hard to to, to take in or maybe we're just so desensitized because there is just so much injustice around us. But listen to what I said. There is a man who spent 20 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. There are children in a room that is called a hospital who are dying because nobody is coming to their rescue child sold, sold by her mother. People loaning money at over 400% interest, if you are in that cycle, how could you ever get out of the debt? That is injustice, and there is so much more. I know all of you have stories of injustice. You could claim you could speak of so much more injustice, and all this injustice makes us want to cry out, it makes us want to scream, where is the justice? Where is the justice? Better yet, where is God? Does God even have a plan? Yes, he does. God has a plan. God is just. And God's justice means that he is impartial, and it means that he is fair. And more than that, it means that he hates. He hates oppression and ill treatment of people. He hates lying, cheating, stealing, and all other forms of abuse and mistreatment of people. He hates that. And his justice also means that someday he is going to judge the right and the wrong, and he is going to administer justice. Now, justice is not yet full and complete, and it's not full and complete because not only is God just, God is patient. Which means he is waiting. He's waiting because he doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to choose himself. He wants all to choose God and to redeem and and, and be redeemed. Amen. But God is just. God is just and he is going to deal with all the injustice through Jesus. Because Jesus is the judge. So now let's look at what it is like for Jesus to be the judge. So if you would, would you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, if you're following along in a church Bible, and I would really encourage you to follow along today in the Bible, it will help us get through this together. John chapter 5 is found on page 864 in that Bible that the church provides. In John chapter 5, we read of an encounter that Jesus has with the Jewish leaders of his day. Now let's think back over the last couple of weeks. In our first week studying Jesus and his various offices, we looked at Jesus as the prophet. And we looked at Jesus's encounter with Philip and Nathaniel, learning that Jesus is the truth. Last week, We looked at Jesus' encounter with a paralyzed man who was dropped from a ceiling. We saw Jesus as the priest. Jesus is the one who forgives sins. This week, we're looking at Jesus' encounter. We're beginning with Jesus' encounter with Jewish leaders of his day to help us understand that Jesus is the judge. Now, at the beginning of John chapter 5... Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda and he heals a man who's been an invalid. He heals a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. Now you would think Jesus healing a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years would make everybody happy. But it doesn't. The Jewish leaders are not happy and they have a problem with this because Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was an assigned day or a, or a legislated day of rest, and healing was forbidden on the Sabbath. Now, just an aside question. Does that sound like a just rule? No. It doesn't sound like a just rule at all. But now, let's look at Jesus' reply to them. Remember, they're upset at Jesus, and Jesus is going to reply to them. But the leaders are not only upset on account of him breaking the Sabbath, which is a pretty big deal to them, he is upset as well because Jesus has just claimed to be equal with God. And the leaders are now going to challenge Jesus. And Jesus is going to respond. But Jesus does not back down. In fact, he doubles down on what he's going to say. He intensifies his claims to actually be God. Look at what he says in John 5, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Now Jesus is claiming right here that he is going to do even greater things. He has just healed a man who was paralyzed for 38 years. The man gets up and walks. But now Jesus says, you're going to see even greater things than that. And there's no guessing here about what he's talking about when he says there are going to be greater things that I am going to do. He shows us. He's going to tell us what he's going to do. Look at verses 21 through 23. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Here, Jesus is claiming, get this, Jesus is claiming that all life belongs to him. All life belongs to him, and he is going to evaluate life. He only loans it. For a little while, he only loans it to us. Now, this is not a popular message. It wasn't a popular message then. And it's not a popular message. No. Almost every bit of media, marketing, and messaging tells you and tells me that your life and my life are our own. Your life is your life. Go live your life and live it to the full, and you can make all the decisions because why? It's your life. You do you. Live your life. These are popular encouragements today. But here, Jesus is something different. He speaks the reality of the situation. Your life is not yours. You did not create it. You you did not invent it. Your life was handed to you. Your life was given to you. And Jesus is saying here, one of these days, you are going to have to give it back and he is going to evaluate it. Then look at verses 27 through 30. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. These seven verses that I just read speak to the authority of Jesus. He is the judge here because he is God. Jesus here claims that he, in the future, is going to raise everyone from the dead. Everyone who ever lived, Jesus is going to raise them from the dead and judge them for all eternity. Now, these are mind-boggling claims. This has to send those Jewish leaders over the cliff. In the future, Jesus is going to judge every person who ever lived. He is the final arbiter of human destiny. He is the one who determines where everyone will end up for eternity. Jesus is the judge. And the judge is the one who deals with all of this injustice. Now, if these claims are actually true, if these claims are true, this means that Jesus is the most important person or should be the most important person in your life. If he is responsible for your existence if he is responsible for your existence and he holds your destiny in his hands, that means that he should be the most important person in your life because he is the judge and the judge has a plan for the injustice. Here in John chapter 5, Jesus, in this encounter with these Jewish leaders, clearly tells them that he's the judge, that he is the evaluator of life, and all life is his. But for us, now, how do we, what do we do with this? What do we do with this idea that Jesus is the judge? What does it mean for us? How is he going to deal with the injustice? How is he going to handle all the wrongs that have been happening in this world? How is he going to handle all the things that you have experienced that are unfair, that are unjust? How is he going to handle the perpetrators of injustice? What kind of judge is Jesus? There are two scenes. There are two scenes that help us see what kind of judge Jesus is, and they're in the book of Revelation. John, who wrote this Gospel of John, also wrote the last book in the Bible. It's the book of Revelation. So there are two scenes in the book of Revelation. And this morning, we're going to look at both scenes to understand who Jesus is as judge. So first turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 on page 994 in the Bible that the church provides. In Revelation chapter 5, John takes us into the future. He takes us beyond the limits of earth. He takes us to heaven and shows us the throne of God. The creatures of heaven are all gathered around this throne of God. And initially here in John chapter 5, there's a big problem. And the problem is that there's no one worthy to open a scroll. Now this is an important scroll because it has God's plan inside of it. God's plan is written in the scroll, and there's no one worthy to open the scroll. What are we going to do? The scroll can't be opened. But then John, John sees a lamb. Look at verses 6 through 9. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one of them had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying... You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Who is this lamb? Oh my goodness. Thank you. That's like third grade Sunday school question. I threw you a softball. Who's the lamb? Jesus is this lamb, and Jesus is worthy to open the scroll. This scroll, now this is important, this scroll represents God's redemptive plan to defeat evil for once and for all and to rescue his people. This is the plan to defeat evil once and for all and rescue his people. This is God's plan for justice. And the first scene reveals to us that the lamb is part of that plan. This image of the lamb, of of a lamb, is all throughout the Bible. There are almost 200 references to a lamb in the Bible, and most of those references about are about a lamb being sacrificed. There's one of those references to the lamb that is particularly important. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 53. And in Isaiah chapter 53, which was written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, there is a lamb that is referred to as the suffering servant. And this suffering servant dies for his people. And it says that the iniquities of the world were placed upon this lamb, and this lamb was led to the slaughter. This suffering servant that was like a lamb, led to the slaughter, bearing the injustice, the iniquity, the sin of this world is Jesus. I started out talking this morning about all the injustice in this world. And there's a lot of injustice. I spoke about the person who was wrongfully convicted, the abuse and mistreatment of those who are weak and who cannot take care of themselves. What do we do? What do you do with the person or persons who wrongfully convict a man and send him to jail for 20 years? What do you do with a man or a person, a woman who charges over 400% interest, preying on the poor? What do you do with people who don't have the opportunity, who, don't, who have the opportunity, but don't take care of dying children who are immediately in their sphere of influence to be able to take care of? What do you do with a mother who sells her child? All of these injustices require judgment. And we all know it. We all know in our heart that these types of wrong require some form of judgment. You can't get away with doing stuff like that. There has to be judgment. There has to be a penalty that's paid. Injustice requires judgment. But here's the thing. There is not one of us in this room. Not one of you not me, who has not committed similar acts of injustice. Lying, cheating, stealing, mistreatment of others, abuse of others. There's not one of us in this room that is innocent of those charges. So what are we going to do? Because God is just, and he is going to administer justice. What are we going to do? We just read that the Lamb is going to open the scroll and the scroll contains God's plan to defeat evil and rescue his people. How does God rescue his people? God rescues his people by providing a substitute. God rescues his people by providing a substitute. He provides a lamb to bear all of the injustice of those who believe in that lamb. You and I, we are guilty of injustice, but if we put our faith and our trust, if we believe in that lamb, that lamb will bear the weight, will pay the penalty of all of our acts of injustice. The lamb has to be spotless. The lamb has to be blameless. The lamb has to be without sin. Otherwise, the lamb would have to die for its own sins. Jesus is spotless. Jesus is without sin. He, therefore, does not have to die because he does not have his own sin. But Jesus, the lamb, is the substitute that takes on your sin and my sin, takes on your injustice and my injustice, and bears the weight of that and pays the penalty. And the promise is that if you believe in that lamb, you receive eternal life. This is the first part of God's plan for dealing with injustice. John says it as well. Turn back to John chapter 5. Hope you kept your finger there. Turn back to John chapter 5. There's a verse in John chapter 5 sandwiched between the two passages that we read that we did not read the first time. It's verse 24. John chapter 5, verse 24. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says, John chapter five, verse 24, very truly I tell you. This is Jesus's way of saying, hey, you better pay attention to what I have to say next. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. To whom does Jesus give eternal life? to the man, to the woman, to the boy, to the girl who hears his words and believes him who sent him, to the one who is willing to listen, to the one who believes in Jesus, to the one who follows him, to the one who obeys. It says when one hears his words and obeys what he says, notice what happens. Immediately Jesus says he has eternal life. Not he shall have it someday when he dies. He has it right then immediately, also immediately, judgment is passed, such that that person has crossed over from death to life. Jesus is making it very clear to these Jewish leaders and to everyone who reads these words, the terms on which one passes from death to life. This is the first part of the plan for dealing with evil and rescuing his people to those who believe he gives eternal life and as a result, they will not face judgment. First part of the plan. Believe in the Lamb. Believe in Jesus and receive life. No judgment. But I said that there were two scenes, right? There are two scenes and the second scene is part of God's plan as well and that's found in Revelation 19. Revelation 19. So turn back to Revelation, go to chapter 19. It's on page 1003 in the church Bible. This scene is also part of God's plan to defeat evil once and for all and rescue his people. Again, Jesus is the center of the plan. And just as he said back in John chapter 5, he's still the judge. Now, before I begin reading Revelation chapter 19, I want you to think. I want you to think about all of the injustice that I mentioned earlier. I want you to think about all the stories of injustice that you yourself are aware of. I want you to think of all the injustice that you have ever experienced in your life. All of the unfairness that you have experienced. All the mistreatment. All the oppression. All of the injustice. Think about the injustice that you or someone you love has experienced. Or maybe for some of you, you can think about the injustice that you're experiencing right now. The oppression. The mistreatment. And as we read these next verses, I want you to think about all that injustice. And I want you to see that Revelation 19, the words of Revelation 19, are part of God's plan to rescue you. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Whoo! Goosebumps. Who is the rider on the white horse? yes, you guys are good. (laughs) Jesus is the rider on the white horse, and he is no longer pictured as a lamb. He is now a rider on a great white horse, and this is a scene of awesome majesty and power. Think about this. Generation after generation, people have rejected God, Perpetrating injustice after injustice, wrong after wrong, never believing that Jesus is going to return, and here in Revelation 19, it speaks of that return, and this rider is coming back, and his name is faithful and true, and here's the thing. If you are here this morning, and these are, look, we're going to look at this, and I'm going to show you seven things quickly from this passage, but this is tough. This is tough to preach because I'm telling you on one side, these can be the most encouraging words in the world. If you have chosen the lamb, you should be jumping for joy that the rider on the great white horse is coming. But I will tell you, the hard thing for me is I know that some of you haven't chosen the lamb. And so when I read these words, I know they are going to come off sounding harsh. Please. Please, this is your invitation to choose the lamb. For those of you who have chosen the lamb, be encouraged by these words. Because the lamb is going to make, excuse me, the rider on the white horse and the lamb are going to make it all right. Look at first. In the first part of verse 11, we see that he rides a white horse and he's called Faithful and True. The white horse symbolizes his victorious return, and he is the one who is faithful and true. Satan has been the author of lies and deceit, and since the fall of man, Satan's lies and deceit have influenced us, have caused us to choose to do the wrong thing, have caused us to choose injustice. But a judge is coming who is faithful and true in every aspect of his being. And that judge who is faithful and true is going to keep for you every single promise that he has ever made to you. He is faithful and he is true. Second, he is full of justice. Look at the second half of verse 11, full of justice. Where's the justice? Here's the justice. The world is full of injustice. People have suffered over and over again at the hands of individuals who are selfish, self-focused, mean, and even evil inconsiderate people who are only out for selfish gains, who are only out for their own glory, purposes, power, and riches. But here, God comes full of justice and he comes to set the record straight. He comes as a righteous judge. All are going to be judged by his holy standard. This holy judge is God and he comes to declare and bring judgment. Third, Look at verse 12. His eyes are like blazing fire. This reveals the omniscient, all-seeing eyes of Jesus. People have lived under the cover of darkness, of sin, including all kinds of injustices and perpetrating injustices. But Jesus has seen their deeds. His eyes see everything, and he sees the deeds of these people, and they will be hidden no longer. Fourth, still in verse 12, he will return wearing many crowns. This speaks of his power and authority. When he came the first time, he was despised of men, belittled and rejected. He was given a crown of thorns. In this scene, he doesn't come like he came before. He will come wearing a crown of glory. He comes not as a humble man, but as a ruling judge, ready to be seated on the throne of power. 5th look what he's wearing verse 13 he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood as jesus returns in power he will wear a robe dipped in blood when he came the first time he was stripped of his blood-stained garment this time he will not be stripped when he returns there will be blood on his robe but it will not be his blood it will be the blood of his enemies that is what he will be wearing 6th look at his weapon Verse 15, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. This is no ordinary weapon. Jesus will open his mouth and unleash the power of his word. There is power in his word. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. His word spoke the universe into existence. Jesus spoke and calmed the waves. Jesus spoke and the fig tree withered. Jesus spoke and a dead man came to life. And here, Jesus is going to speak and the word will go forth from his mouth like a sword to destroy his enemies. And finally, seventh, verse 16, his name. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the Old Testament title for God, and it is now used to affirm Jesus' sovereignty over all earthly rulers. There is no other name that can compare to the name of Jesus. His name is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Never has a name so moved all the masses of humanity. Never has a name brought so much peace and joy and hope as the name of Jesus does. He is sovereign God. He is ruler of all and everyone is going to bow at the name of Jesus and confess that he is Lord. He is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. This is the rider on the white horse whose name is faithful and true and he is coming. Listen, God has a plan. God has a plan to deal with the injustice in this world. And there is a lot of injustice. There are wrongful convictions. There are mothers selling babies. There are people that are letting other people die. There are people that are charging exorbitant interest to get ahead. There is injustice after injustice. But God has a plan, and He is the perfect judge. The perfect judge. The perfect judge balances mercy and judgment. And Jesus fairly and impartially partially balances mercy and judgment. And right now he is presenting himself to you and to me as the merciful lamb. He is a merciful judge who has opened up his arms and said, believe in me, trust in me, obey me, and you will receive eternal life. Not in the future. Right now, that life will begin. The merciful judge is waiting with his arms open wide, ready to bear the penalty of your acts of injustice. But eventually, and ultimately, the merciful judge becomes the rider on the white horse whose name is faithful and true. And if you are here this morning and you do not believe in the lamb, your destiny is to be judged by the rider on the white horse. My plea to you this morning is don't let that happen. All you have to do is choose to believe the lamb. Choose to believe in Jesus and obey him, and you will have life and no judgment. And then for those of you who are here and have already chosen the lamb, For those of you here who believe in Jesus, I want you to know that the rider on the white horse is going to make everything right. Every injustice that you have ever experienced Every injustice that you are experiencing now, every injustice that you will experience, the rider on the white horse who is called, faithful and true is going to make it right. That is his promise. He is going to make it right. And in the meantime, for you and for me, for those of us who have chosen the lamb, in the meantime, our duty, our call is to obey. And you know what obey means? Obey means that we have to endure. It means you have to endure injustice. Obey means that you may have to sacrifice. Obey means that you may have to suffer. But I know what obey also means. It, may, it also means that you have to be an instrument of God's mercy. That's what it means for you and for me as we leave this place this morning, having chosen the lamb, choosing obedience. It means we have to be instruments of mercy and all that that means. So when we see a situation of wrongful conviction, how do you engage in that to show mercy? When you see or hear of a hospital in Uganda, how do you show mercy? When you hear of a child sold into a trafficking ring, how do you show mercy? When you hear of a pay loan, day pay loan situation with exorbitant, how do you show mercy? Because by showing mercy, you bring God's justice into the situation. And that's what we are called to do. We are called to obey, which means endure, sacrifice, suffer, and show and demonstrate mercy wherever we possibly can. God has a plan. His plan is going to bring justice. His plan is choose the lamb or face the rider on the white horse.